This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hi, and welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and I am just happy to be here and happy to have another great interview in which I learned an incredible amount that I did not know before, because I think I've mentioned several times on the show, I'm not like a rivet head. I'm definitely one of those people that focuses on the people. So when I do actually learn things about the ship, it's always a fascinating moment for me. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy. Things simple because, as you can see, I climb around in my chair like a child, and I clear my throat, and I bang teacups, and it's horrible. I'm going to edit out this because it's dumb. But um, anyway, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. If you could do me a big favor and introduce yourself for the two listeners that I have. Hi, everyone. My name's Mark Chernside. I'm a maritime historian, um, and I, I've got a I've got a history degree now, so I'm, I'm entitled to say that. <laughs> and uh, my uh, focus it started with Titanic, but mm-hmm. I've broadened out really. So um, I tend to find you, you can't really understand Titanic unless you understand her sister ships, Olympic and Britannic. And in turn, I found you can't understand them unless you kind of go back and study the history of the White Star Line. So... Um, yeah, I started off with a Titanic focus, and then I've uh, I've broadened out. Mm-hmm. So uh, find it a quite a fascinating subject, really. I was one of those people. I think I got interested at school. We had a a school project. Um, I think it was called the Unsinkable Ship, and uh, you know they were kind of describing all the watertight compartments, and you know this uh, this. Uh, this huge ship that was built and then explained that it had uh, sank on its uh, on its first voyage i think it was a year or two after that there was a uh, a book fair at school and um one of the books they were selling was uh, exploring the titanic which was the um i think it's basically the children's version of the discovery of the titanic book so it was robert ballard um, had all of the Ken Marshall paintings of the wreck and um, then saw the film A Night to Remember and uh, I think it was only a few weeks later that the uh, Cameron film was uh, was released and then of course, you know, the, towards the end of the 90s there was just Titanic mania really, everyone seemed to be interested um, it were just hundreds of books magazines, um, TV programs, and um, just uh, went from there. So obviously my interest is centrally in Titanic, but that's also mostly because I don't really know. I'm, I'm not a historian, and um, this is what I know a lot about. So, I mean, obviously I can't say, tell me the entire history of the White Star Line, but like, you're encountering someone like me who's familiar with the Titanic. What are some things that I should know about the sister ships or the history, either facts or stories that enhance the overall thing that just like most people don't know simply because it's not Titanic centric, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, White Star had a bit of a checkered history, really, because um, it was still a relatively young 
company um, in, uh, in 1912. Um, uh, so Thomas Ismay, who's J. Bruce Ismay's father, um, his company really got going in the early 1870s. And um, it could really have uh, not lasted uh, more than a year or so, because, of course, there was the uh, tragic wreck of the White Star Steamer Atlantic. Um, I think it was 1873, I think it was, might have been 1872. And um, I suppose you could say that for the White Star Line, which was officially the Oceanic Steam Navigation Company, um, you know, it, it could have uh, it could have ended there, really. Uh, but White Star overcame misfortune and, um, you know, over the course of decades, basically, they took on uh, British rivals such as Cunard and um, it, to, to a large degree, they, they beat them at their own game. They're, they're an upstart company. And, um, you know, for, for years in the 1890s and the 1880s, White Star was largely prospering, whereas Cunard was having quite a few years where they, they seemed to be in trouble and they needed to be raising money. Or, as it was at the start of the 20th century, Cunard basically had to go to the British government um, for state support. And uh, arguably, without help from the British government, Lusitania and Mauritania could not have been financed, could not have been built. Cunard would uh, probably have been taken over or gone bankrupt. Um, and we, we, we might have seen the opposite, really, because, um, you know, you might be aware that uh, Cunard and White Star merged in the 1930s. But by that time, it was Cunard that had the upper hand. So... Um, you know, we often hear about Titanic being built to kind of, uh, you know, take on take on Cunard, but also it was uh, German lines they were competing against as well. Um, but um, you know, at, at that time, White Star was a pretty a pretty strong company, pretty successful company, and um, you know, even the loss of the Titanic, the the, the company survived it. Um, and, um, you know, you, you really need to understand White Star. You need to understand the relationship with Harland and Wolfe um, just to just to appreciate the context, really, you know, where Titanic came from, where her sister ships came from. Um, and certainly I found that. I mean, I've researched Oceanic, um, which is called the ship of the century when she came out in 1899. I don't know anything about the Oceanic. Well, she was she was quite an impressive ship, really, and um, you know, in terms of in terms of cost, I, th- I think allowing for size, she was actually more expensive than uh, than, than Titanic was. Um, but uh, she 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 was really a ship where she was she was built for speed, but. Um, she she was not the fastest afloat. Um, you know, White Star had got to the point where they thought, well, we can't we can't get the speed record, or, or didn't want to take the speed record from the Germans. Um, and um, 
really she was sort of a, a step along the way because she was built and they went for luxury they went for comfort she wasn't the fastest um ship afloat but she was pretty competitive who's designed for 20 21 knots um and if you look at it in that sense to a large degree you can say maybe that the uh, the olympic class ships were basically enlarged on uh, on that kind of concept but uh, you know in terms of size a much greater scale um and uh, you know white star were 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 really doing this by themselves they they had to they had to raise the money um it was a huge project at the time um there's a statistic i'm fond of quoting that uh, um oceanic believed to have cost about £750,000, which was a huge sum in 1899. Um, But if you add up Olympic, Titanic, Britannic, um, their cost was more than £5 And um, White Star didn't have any state support. They they had to raise the money themselves. Um, It's one of those myths that won't go away. There's this myth that J.P. Morgan, um, you know, financed these ships. Um, He didn't and the the bank didn't. Um, And really for White Star, you can take some idea of just how big this project was. The, The entire White Star fleet in 1908 was valued at about £4.8 million. So there's about, I think it was 23 ships they had in the fleet at that point. And they're spending more on these three huge uh, new ships than the entire value of the fleet. Um, so it's just a huge, a huge undertaking, really. And of course, White Star didn't really ever get the commercial benefit because there's the, you know, the horrible human tragedy the titanic mm-hmm. disaster and uh, of course britannic was lost as a casualty of war um loss of life didn't really compare but nonetheless 30 people yeah. died um and um yeah i guess you could say it's it's really unrealized dreams in that sense or the, the hand of fate uh, i guess whatever cliche you want to you want to use Did they get the money? Because that's not a small amount of money. It's not like they needed $20. They needed vast cash. They did. They did. Um, I mean, most people's most people's eyes sort of glaze over when you, you go into all the, um, you know, all, all, all the technicalities of it and all the sort of boring financial detail. But the, the, the short story is that White Star basically had to mortgage its existing fleet um so that sounds risky well yes and no um i i I mean if you've got security then people are more willing to 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 lend you money um and white star was a profitable company so that they're able to to take some of the um uh the 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 money the, the resource from from profits they were making um, but basically, they, they they borrowed the money, so they, they mortgaged their existing fleet as security, and um, they they borrowed the money from largely 
British investors based in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, because of course at this time, I mean, New York was rising, and the the American economy, um, you know, is uh, is really starting to boom. But but London was still the the world centre of finance um, at, at this time, and um, yeah, they 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 borrowed the money. They they didn't have uh, didn't have any issues, um, and. Um, Really, there was a perception that uh, shipping securities—that if, if if you lent money to a shipping line—was um, seen as one of the more secure enterprises, um, and that was certainly Lord Pirie's view. Um, I mean, he's he's on record as uh, certainly he felt that uh, you know loaning money to, uh, to to shipping lines, or buying shipping securities, was. Uh, um, you know, among the most secure, um, and uh, really, it's like what everyone says about cryptocurrency today. Uh, oh goodness, yeah. Well, I know nothing about that, so I can't get down a rabbit hole with that. But it, it sounds like a similar argument where it's like nothing more secure, nothing more yeah. secure than the blockchain. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about crypto blockchain. Blockchain. I mean, be Those nice. Those are the wor- only words I know. Yeah, you, you see, you see these people on Instagram that are apparently billionaires because they've been mining crypto. Um, I'm sure if I tried that, it wouldn't work. Same, um, but uh, but it, it 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 was tricky because you know they they had to pay for these ships before they're earning earning a pound or earning a dollar, earning a dime, um, and you know they they had to pay the shipbuilder. Because the, they they were having to buy the materials, they they were paying the labourers, they were building these ships, these huge costs, and of course they they didn't didn't even start earning it until after they'd been launched, after they'd been fitted out, and they'd made the maiden voyage. Um, and of course, it was only Olympic that ever achieved that. <laughs> so, yes. uh, and yet, someone somehow we remember the middle child. Yes, yeah, it's kind of uh, you know the the, the the triumph and disaster. I mean, Olympic and Titanic, they they started life pretty much from the same blueprints, mm-hmm. um, and of course, when Olympic made her maiden voyage, she was so successful. Um, you know, straight away, White Star confirmed the order for the third sister ship but of course Brit- sorry titanic had just been launched mm-hmm. and um you know they they really set about making all sorts of changes just to make a in first class at least a, a fair bit more luxurious in terms of you know the cafe parisien the larger a la carte restaurant the the expanded uh, suites the, the 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 suites with the private Promenade decks um, first to go to sea, um, you know. So you can certainly say that Titanic was, in many ways, she was a, a copy of Olympic, but certainly improved. Um, and I guess it's just that, you know, that extraordinary um, bad luck. You know, the, the the nature of that tragedy. I mean, no one. No one would have thought it likely that she would sink on her maiden voyage, that she would never get to New York, 
Why would you think that? Well, I mean, even if you think, well, the ship could sink, you would never imagine there was a loss of life. No. I mean, uh, White Star's Republic had uh, sunk about three years earlier, um, but she stayed afloat for something like 38 or 40 hours. They were just able to transfer people, you know, lifeboats going back and forth to, to rescue ships. Um, and, you know, Titanic completely undid all of these uh, complacent assumptions. That is true. Yeah. It's interesting how when you research anything about the Titanic, whether it's the cultural history, the shipyard history, why people scream about the movie, like no matter what angle you're looking into, there is there's something new to learn at every corner. And I I feel as though it's not, not in a bad way, but that the human tragedy of what happened overshadowed the entire building process because it happened so quickly afterwards. It's sort of like, uh, I can't think of a good one. I mean, I brought up 9-11 so many times. But up until 9-11 happened, the Twin Towers were kind of looked at as sort of iconic landmarks. You know, people would go visit them and take pictures. And, they, you know, you talked about them in this way. And no one was ever like, those towers are going to fall down one day. It wasn't the thought in your mind as you walked by, like, huh, wonder when that's coming down. That's not how you lived your life here. And it's... It, I'm moving around during a sentence. Um, but it's not until after 9-11 happened that the human tragedy element overtook the grandeur of its history, which is not to say people still don't look at it, but it's now not the major part is not what I want to say either, but that is what happened. Yeah, yeah. They were overshadowed by the, uh, you know, by the, this, well, a terrorist attack it was a yeah. disaster but it was a terrorist attack or like hurricane katrina which was just just an absolute disaster that absolutely ruined a bunch of people but it was this it's the same sort of thing where it gets overtaken by which is a good thing in one way because you learn about the people you learn to be respectful of everything but on the other hand it does sort of erase everything that it was before yeah, I mean, you know, the name Titanic, it's just a it's just a byword for disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, there's, there's not been any other ship <laughs> called the Titanic since. Um, and, um, you know, she was fairly quickly, uh, for understandable reasons, taken out of White Star's publicity material. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, you, you look at Olympic. I mean, she was she represented the same engineering accomplishment. Um, had quarter of a century of great success. Carried hundreds of thousands of passengers. Um, you know, um, made made money, created jobs for um, you know for for the crew for the shipping line, um, and um, you know transported people in in safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you've just got this remarkable thing where you've got a ship that's virtually a near identical twin, mm-hmm. and you know through a, such a combination of circumstances, um, you know the, the the disaster completely overshadows 
um, you know, everything else. I mean, you think of the thousands of men, um, and, you know, really it was men, um, in Hondon Wool Shipyard, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, 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 the years of work, the, the sense of achievement, and, and, you know, this was grinding manual labour, um, and, you know, they, they, they put all that in and, and the, the years of planning this ship and it's just all taken away in a couple of seconds. Um, yeah. And, you know, as, uh, as Philip Franklin said in New York, well, they can replace the ship. They, they, they can't replace the approximately 1,500 lives yeah. um, that, that, that were lost and just the human tragedy. Um, you know, it, it, many ways it, it was overtaken. I mean, you had the First World War, mm-hmm. or you know, just the Great War, as it was known as at the time. Because obviously, that there hadn't been a, a Second World War yet. Um, we have news for the past. Yeah, yeah. You had the, the Spanish flu, well, the influenza, and you know the people that were killed. Um, you know the the economic crash. You know the 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 penury that people experienced in the 30s across much of the Western world, um, the devastation of the Second World War, you know, the, the, the Cold War that followed, or the Korean War. Um, I mean, you know, Titanic didn't really fade from consciousness, but, you know, people often say, well, it, it was really the release of A Night to Remember in the, in the mid-50s, you know, the, the book and then the film that kind of sort of re-established the disaster in in popular consciousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm not a cultural historian. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I dare say there's some research somewhere where you can pick out how many times the the, the, the word Titanic is mentioned, you know, in, in, in various journals. But um, and then of course the, the discovery of the wreck, and then mm-hmm. the, the Cameron film, not that long afterwards, relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just something that seems to capture people's imagination and wh- whether it's the engineering aspects, whether it's the human tragedy, you know, the kind of idea pride cometh before a fall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, because, you know, Olympic, she she was a success, Titanic wasn't. And, right. you know, it, I'm sure 99.99% of people never heard of Olympic yeah. and you know probably not that many people necessarily think about the Queen Mary or, uh, I don't to be perfectly uh, fair um, you know if you even the most famous ocean liners or Normandy Normandy for example in the 30s people today unless you're interested in the you know in the subject haven't really heard of them and um, you know to, to a large degree, Titanic is famous because of the disaster. Um, it's, that's not something you want to be famous for. No, but I mean, I think that, for example, if Titanic had sunk during her sea trials, you know, when there wasn't 2,200 people on board, and it may have been more of a an embarrassment than a tragedy. It would have been like, how the heck did that happen? 
hopefully if that were to happen, then you know, there wouldn't be a loss of life. But it wouldn't exactly, it would be a thing where they were like, we have to keep this quiet. This has to be the quietest thing. Titanic was never built. We're going to build it later. We're going to build it later. It would have been a very different outcome, and it kind of might have been even funny in a way when some historian discovers it's like, wait, I'm sorry, that's what happened to the first Titanic? You sneezed? Great. And it would have been sort of not as interesting. I, I think, um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, not literally, of course, because um, mm-hmm. she was such a feature of the, of the Belfast skyline. But yeah, I completely, I, I think the... The, the human the human tragedy the the, the nature of um, the, the nature of the sinking and you know she she she, she wasn't like you know the, there were there were other disasters I mean Lusitania as an example mm-hmm. um, you know she sank in less than twenty minutes horrifying um, and it, you know the, there's an army there I mean in many ways. She was within sight of land, you know. She was off the the the, 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 the southern coast of Ireland, and um, it, 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 it was it was an act of war, um, and yet the, the, she did have enough lifeboats for everyone, but there the, the just wasn't the time, and you know she soon took on a list, so so many of them became useless because the, the ship was leaning. Um, you know, to the to the starboard side, and um, uh, you know the 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 cold sea was still deadly, even though they were within sight of the uh, of the coast, and you know it was day. Um, but you know, Titanic, there, there just seemed to be so many ironies. I mean, she sank in two hours forty minutes. I mean, it wasn't wasn't long enough for help to arrive. Um, and um, you well, know, they didn't have I, helicopters that could just. There weren't airplanes. You couldn't send airborne rescue quickly. No, no. Um, but you know, she was also. She sank. She was relatively stable. She she, and she didn't take much of a list. You know, they're able to launch lifeboats from both sides of the ship. Because mm-hmm. um, that was one of the arguments at the time. You know, people were arguing, well, if we have lifeboats for everyone you might not be able to use half of them anyway. Um, That was certainly the view of um, Cunard's naval architect. Um, Didn't the Lusitania sink without launching a single lifeboat just because they simply did not have the time? um, I I believe... Why am I mixing up wrecks? I'm not not really a Lusitania researcher. I believe they're able to launch a few. Okay, there is a wreck I'm thinking of. There is a wreck somewhere... In this world that I am thinking of, that I can't remember the name of, but it, it it sunk so quickly that they simply were not able to launch any lifeboats. Yeah. To where it really depends. You know, Titanic had about three hours. You can, even if everyone was the slowest sailor on board, you'd still be able to get a few of them offhand. But if you hit something really, really bad and go down in, say, 30 minutes, you might not be able to get one of those things even, even ready to go. No, no. And you know there are there are some ships, of course, which uh, over the years have just vanished without trace. Um, horrifying, so, yeah. by the way, that is a horrifying concept. That a plane, a ship, a thing full of people is. Yeah, yeah, and you know we see it wasn't that many years ago. I think it was within ten years that that was it. A Malaysian Airlines 
um, forget the number of it, but it never arrived in Beijing. And you just think, well, how, how on earth can that happen with a modern aircraft and with all the, all the gadgetry? That was um, Malaysia Flight 370. Sorry, I used yeah, Google. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. Um, and, you know, you, you just start to think, well, after a couple of hours, well, they'll find something. Um, I, I mean, with, with Titanic, I mean, if she hadn't been able to call for help, you know, she was due in New York within a couple of days, so there'd certainly have been alarm bells sounded. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the wireless operators, the Marconi operators, um, Ride and Phillips, um, there had been some trouble with the Marconi equipment earlier in yeah. the voyage, and, and they'd sort of stepped in. I believe they, they weren't actually meant to. I, I think it was Park Stevenson that said, I think they went against guidelines, but they, they yeah, basically... they weren't supposed... It's sort of like there's certain companies now where if you tinker with your thing and you're not an insert brand professional, it voids the warranty. Yeah. I don't know if it was a warranty thing necessarily, but yeah, they were not supposed to be to be tinkering with that, but they were just like, you're taking too long. There is a backlog beyond our ears and they just figured it out. Yeah, and you you know, you, you, you just think, well, can you imagine if the if that had been the case and, the, you know, the, the, the wireless hadn't been working and they hadn't been able to call for help. Um, I mean, with a ship like Titanic, you, you would think that if she had gone down with everyone on board, that they, they would have recovered some debris. Um, but um, I, I don't know about Waratah. I, I don't, I'm not sure if any, I don't believe any trace was found. I'm, I might be mistaken. Um, I mean, White Star had lost a, a small ship, um, uh, Neronic, I think it was, early 1890s. And it's a complete mystery what what happened to that. Because, um, you know, she, she wasn't equipped with, uh, with wireless. Um, I believe a message in, the bottle, in a bottle was found. Um, you know, not sure how, how genuine that was. Um, but, you know, they, they, they held an inquiry and, you know, they looked at the ship and thought, well, she was well built. You know, surveyor said, well, she, she was seaworthy. She passed with flying colours. She was well designed. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't work out what could have happened to her. And to this day, we've no idea. Um, I just looked it up and also, again, absolutely insane. Where it's just like, what? <laughs> I know that there are forces in this world that, you know, we don't know about. There's creatures at the bottom of the ocean that we just haven't gotten deep enough to find. And I am I am sure that there are some cases where it's like you're literally in the middle of nowhere. You hit something in a freak accident. You go down in 30 minutes and it's just there's nothing left except for the bubbles. Yeah. yeah. And... You know, I can completely under- see that. But with something so big, you're like, there wasn't even a hand towel left behind. Are you kidding me? No teacups. Are you joking? Yeah. Are you joking? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing? I, I mean, you know, I, it is quite interesting. It was a couple of weeks after the disaster, you know, collapsible A was found floating by Oceanic. And, you know, she was, um, you know, on the, on the same service, Southampton to New York. And um, you know they they run across the the, the boat, so uh, maybe 
maybe something similar would have happened. Uh, there were there were newspaper reports that the people on Collapsible A had starved to death, um, you know, which is something horrible to think of. I mean, they they hadn't. They they were they had unfortunately um, not survived um, beyond that morning, and you know, therefore yeah. Carpathia. They, they they left the boat adrift. Um, so th- there was no truth in that story, but there were newspapers that said, you know, they found people from Titanic that had starved to death. And, you know, that wasn't the case. And you know, people, it soon was clarified, you know, they hadn't starved to death. But the initial newspaper reports are still sometimes quoted. Um, but, you know, if she couldn't call for help, yeah. Imagine they'd lowered the lifeboats, but then you know that horrendous thing that no one, no one comes to their rescue, and you know, a long exposure at sea. I mean, it'd just be a horrible. Um, but I, I dare say some of the, some of the lifeboats would have been found at some point. Mm-hmm. But you yeah, know, I very much doubt people would have lasted. You know, because. You got sixty people in a lifeboat, or mm-hmm. however many people it might be. I mean, it was typically less than that. Um, but you know, not having, not having supplies, not having water, completely exposed to the elements. Mm-hmm. The horn was starting to get up that morning. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. As horrible as it was, it could have been so yeah. much worse. I know that. Again, I don't know the names of any of the ships, but I think there was some testimony from people who were on board ships that passed nearby or through the debris field that in the next few days would just look over and see bodies. Um, Yeah, I believe, um, I think there are reports, I'm not sure if one of them was was Bremen, it was a German liner, I mean, it's, yeah, not something I've read for ages. But of course, they did find, you know, quite a number of the people that all the the rescue efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried to recover um, victims for burial. Um, that was the whole purpose of sending out the Mackie Bennett. Yeah, or is it the Mackay Bennett? I don't know how to say it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think people I tend to tend to hear people say Mackay Bennett. Um, but um, you know they did recover. I'm not sure how many it was. I think it was about 300. Um, I'm not sure. A vast majority of them were given sea burials. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just the it's just the horror of it, really. And that you know, for if you just imagine that there had been enough lifeboats and that, that you know they'd been able to launch them. Um, I mean, of course, it would have needed more trained crew as well and, you know, more boats on their own and not enough. Um, But, you know, it's one of those cases where, you know, people could have survived. And, uh, you know, there there are so many what-ifs with Titanic. Mm -hmm. You know, what if the collision had happened slightly differently? It just just one less compartment and, you know, she yeah. would have been able to remain afloat. Um, there are the, you know, the, the, the track, the track she was on, you know, there were, there were basically agreed northern and southern routes, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the, for the shipping lines. And 
several years prior, um, you know, the agreed routes had actually been moved south because of reports of ice. Mm. And, um, you know, reports were coming in as Titanic was leaving Ireland. And you just think, well, maybe she'd sailed a week or so later. Yeah. You know, perhaps they'd have they'd have moved the track like they'd uh, like they'd done in earlier years. Right. And uh, you know, maybe um, maybe she wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have encountered ice. Well, certainly not where she did because she'd been right. sailing further south. Um, I what after the sinking of Titanic. How did this affect the city of Belfast, where the the shipyard was built? Because you know that was they were a ship building town. That's what you did in Belfast. You, you built ships, and I'm sure that there was a lot not riding on it, and that everyone was holding their breath. But they were like, "Oh yeah, Titanic's going to make a voyage. It's going to continue making money. So we continue building this one." There was a whole lot of and then and then and thens, and then those didn't come to pass. Yeah, well, I think it was around 1900. I think Lady Piri, um, well, she wasn't wasn't Lady then. I think Piri became a Lord 1906 or seven. Um, but um, she'd said, I, I think about one in eight um, jobs in Belfast, she thought were dependent in some way on the shipyard. Yeah. Whether that's people working in the in the shipyard itself or whether you know it's supply companies or or, or that sort of thing and you know there are other shipbuilders you know workman clark and so on um i i mean for holland and wolf you know there the were holland and wolf uh, workers on the maiden voyage the the, the guarantee group um and of course most famously thomas andrews who who lost his life um and the, 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 there was a huge impact on the company. His loss was was felt very keenly. Um, and um, he was the chief designer for everything. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, in popular history, he, he tends to be called Titanic's designer. I mean, I'm sure he was one of several, but he, yeah, principal. He, really, he was one of a team. I mean, Alexander Carlyle, who um, retired in 1910 was uh, was more senior at that time and really leading on the project. So when Andrews took over Carlyle's duties, I mean to a large degree, he was taking over a project where the you know the, the major decisions had already been taken. Um but um yeah Andrews was was very highly regarded. He lost his life. Of course there's the yeah. family connection. He was Piri's or Piri's nephew. I will say that all historical accounts that I can find say that Andrews was a pretty stand-up guy. He was certainly very highly regarded. Um, you don't really find anyone with a bad word to, to say about him. Um, a rarity, really. Well, it's... I don't I think there's the, there's the tragedy. It's someone that's, someone that's gone before their time. Um... I mean, he he wasn't yet 40. I think he was 38, 39 um, at the time of Titanic's maiden voyage. Right. Um, and, um, 
Yeah, he, he was certainly highly regarded. I mean, you know, the comments on his work ethic, he'd be in the shipyard early, mm-hmm. you know, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or something. And, the, um, and uh, you know, he was really putting the hours in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, you know, he was basically, uh, although there was the family connection, you know, it, it was widely said that he, w- he wasn't given any special treatment. He had to work his way up. Um, okay. But he certainly seems to have been someone with an aptitude, with a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Sorry, yeah, I completely someone... detracted that from Belfast. Yeah, it's just someone with a regard for the workers. I mean, Violet Jessup, she was a stewardess on Olympic and mm-hmm. she commented on some of the features of the ship that Andrews had implemented, um, you know, to, to make people's lives a bit easier. Um, I mean, one of the things, we get an insight into Andrews from the notes he made on Olympic's main voyage the year before. Right, right. Um, I'm sure he was making similar notes on Titanic, which, of course, hadn't survived, but... Um, one of the things he recommended was the that the third class staterooms or cabins be be fitted with uh, with uh, slip bolts from from the inside, so that the cabin occupants could could put the bolt across and and secure themselves. Oh. And what was what was in his mind? Um, he was basically saying that you know this is partly for protecting the occupants of these cabins, especially those occupied by women. Mm-hmm. Um, because the sad reality at this time, um, in, in third class in particular, um, and, you know, whether you were travelling as a group or whether you were an unaccompanied female immigrant, um, sadly, the, there was a reality that sexual assault... Um, don't quite know how common it was, but it certainly was. It certainly wasn't uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lines trying to keep. Um, you know, the, the the firemen, their quarters were in a separate part of the ship. Third class male passengers tended to be berthed towards the bow, mm-hmm. whereas single women and 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 family groups were towards the stern. Um, but you know, that's just a just a bit of an insight into, you know, his, uh, his approach. He, he said, you know, we, if we, if we put these slip bolts on, then, you know, they'll be able to bolt the cabin from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you, you won't have a situation where, you know, it, it might be at night and people are sleeping and, you know, someone might be able to, to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know some of the other recommendations he's got they're they're in, they're in large part for just the efficient working of the ship sure um you know but the, there is there is that degree of of saying well actually it'll be more comfortable for the crew for the passengers um although you know there's it's obviously a commercial element to it as well i mean you want right. passengers to have a good experience on the ship um yeah they'll leave you a five star review that way well, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they they really were pretty well treated compared to many of the ships that were at sea right. at the time. You know, third class, you had these open dormitories. Um, you know, people, um, 
it we're just sleeping in these huge huge dormitories loads of loads of people um you know you don't not necessarily that well ventilated um you know some of the ships that were crossing at the turn of the century were really not fit for right. for humans um, and you know the the US government i mean there, there was um there was an agent of um of the authorities she she actually crossed on a number of passenger steamers from i think mostly from uh, germany i think there were british mm-hmm. ships as well um and she travelled on an earlier White Star ship, Cedric, in 1909. And, um, you know, this was a time where just having your own stateroom, having a porthole, you know, wow, you, you, can, you can see out, you've got light, um, you know, ventilation, having a call bell, or you know, to, to get a steward's attention. was just uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to going back to Belfast, I mean, it, it was certainly, you know, I think it was described as eerie, you know, the, the, at Harndon Wolf, you know, when the when the news came through. I mean, I don't think Harndon Wolf, you know, they remained a successful shipyard, mm-hmm. um, and it was a relatively small number of people from Harndon Wolf who were lost on the ship. I mean. Not that that's any consolation, of course, but right. you, you look at somewhere like Southampton mm, and yeah. the amount of crew that were from Southampton. Um, and, you know, newspapers of the time, they, they tried to illustrate it. There was a photo, I forget the name of the street, but there was this photo and it had been annotated. I think it might have been the Southampton Pictorial. Mm-hmm. And it had it had a sort of label on the different houses and it said things like Mrs. So-and-so, she lost her husband. Mm. And the next one, so-and-so lost their brother. Um, you know, as a house, father and son were on Titanic. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've got house after house where it's just labelled. Um, you know, I think it was called a city of sorrow. Mm. Um in one of the reports of the time, it was just a horrible, um, and, and people were people were on edge for months afterwards. I mean, there was a rumor. It was around September or August nineteen twelve, I think, and somehow there was a rumor going round that Olympic had sunk, and um, you know, anxious crowds started to gather outside the White Star offices. Um, you know, because they they were worried there was some truth in it, and what with Titanic, yeah. you know, sinking some months earlier, um, you know, rumours like that that in previous years would have just been shrugged off. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all too believable. Um, well, yeah, so. once the impossible happens, you have to start entertaining every other impossible um, angle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and of course, at this time. You know, the, 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 there wasn't provision like we've got today in terms of social security or benefits. Um, you know, so not just losing relatives, but um, you, you lose a, lo- a loved one and um, there's that huge economic burden as well. Right. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's just it's just horrible to think about. And you know, this had a lasting impact. I mean, there were efforts like the relief fund to to try and provide for people, provide for dependents, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it went on for for some years. You know, that's often overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, because we tend to focus on the immediate disaster, but not mm-hmm. the not the aftermath, the months and of years afterwards, where you know. Southampton was affected, people were affected. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of emphasis put on the immediacy, but you're right in that it did have quite a lasting effect. It, in Even aside from the victims themselves, there's, as you pointed out, all those people that lost family, people who lost, you know, entire generations, you know, wiped out because they had both their children were working on Titanic or... <clears throat> Excuse me, but there was so much that went after for people who needed to try to get back on their feet. Like a lot of the women who were left widows, many of them had probably not worked. Not all. There were some that definitely had, but there was some that would suddenly need to, or suddenly you have to work two jobs instead of one because you have to take care of children that you weren't counting on. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there were. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that's been done already, but I'm sure there are probably some, you know, some sort of people-focused researchers or people that have researched into the relief fund that probably got some good examples of that. Um, and, uh, probably. Yeah, it was just a, just a whole other time. It was a whole mm-hmm. other time. And, um, you know, the... the there were charitable contributions, but they they only go so far. Um, yeah, but I, I think it was um, yeah, it was Mauritania. She'd left Ireland. I think it was the fourteenth of April, mm-hmm. and um, you know when news of the disaster came through, she was still on the way to New York, mm-hmm. and uh, believe the passengers held a held a, a collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean that must have been a nervous, must have been a nervous crossing because they, yes. they were heading pretty much the same way, and they knew about this ice. So uh, I think everyone was just standing on. I, I picture everyone just standing on the railing every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Mauritania's captain. He certainly took every precaution. I believe she steered south. Um, certainly, the, the the shipping routes were moved south in the mm-hmm. aftermath of the disaster. I can understand why. It seems like the safest thing to do, especially yeah. given everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the odds of it happening, I mean, it just comes back to the the impossible, or, or it's it's not the impossible, it's the inconceivable. The improbable, yeah. Yeah, because you look at the statistics for how safe it was, it's certainly in terms of British ships on the, on the North Atlantic route. So this is for... Um, you know, eastern ports in the United States, Canadian or North American ports, they tend to be classed sometimes as the as the same. Um, but, you know, the, the number of people that had sailed, you know, and the, compared to the loss of life, I mean, I believe the numbers were in the millions. And, you know, people that sailed successfully and then, you know, 
it, it was it was just seen as a safe mode of travel, and that just completely came to an end. Um, I can see how that would shatter your illusion, but I think you know maybe now it's just a little not hard, easier, just because we all know driving a car is super risky. We're all aware that airplanes crash. It happens. We everything that like I live in D- near DC, so we have the metro system. I'm like how often does a car derail like there's always something happening to where yes the dog has come over oh isn't that nice see the tail yeah yeah Yeah, he's just short enough where you can't see him in the in the webcam but you can't every once in a while see a little flag tail going by um yeah it's just we're far more aware of the risks of things now but yeah, I think this goes back to that whole hubris that was associated with Titanic, where it was just like, no, that can't happen. Why would it happen? But I, now I think we're very aware of like, yes, sinkholes are scary. We should be on the lookout for those. I, yeah, I mean, you know, there was something sort of in the aftermath. I mean, Captain Smith, you know, he's the captain. He's ultimately responsible for the ship. Right. But it, it it tended to be couched in terms of, well, he, he was doing what other skilled people would have done in the same position. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of a practice that, you know, grown up over time, you know, whether it's, whether it's passengers expecting, you know, a ship to keep to the schedule, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, to arrive on time. Um, you know th- this notion that actually, if 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 we, if if we do encounter ice, ice, we'll be able to see it and yes. be able to avoid it, and there won't be a problem. Um, it won't happen to us. No, but you know, you know that there have been there have been incidents in the years before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the German liners, I think, it nineteen oh seven. I think it might have been the Kronprinz Wil- Wilhelm. Um, it was one of the North German Lloyd ships, but she collided with an iceberg, mm-hmm. um, you know, survived. Mm-hmm. But, um, and actually in 1913, there was a White Star ship, the Teutonic, and mm-hmm. um, she encountered an iceberg and managed to avoid it. Um, I mean, again, with Titanic, it's just one of those if-onlys. I mean, personally... Yeah. I think that first officer Murdoch, who of course was on the bridge, mm-hmm. who's the officer of the watch, when the iceberg yeah. was sighted, I mean, I, I think he came close to pulling off a miracle. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, close isn't good enough when, when uh, mm-hmm. you end up striking the ice and and, and there's a disaster of uh, of such magnitude. Okay. Um, but I, I I do think he does get a bit of a raw deal in history. I mean, my. My opinion, I, I, and you know, this is nothing scientific at all, but I, I do get the impression that if anyone could have avoided the iceberg, it, it would have been Murdoch. And um, if he couldn't, I doubt that Lightoller or anyone else on duty could have done yeah. either. Murdoch was a very capable, very knowledgeable, extremely dedicated seaman. Yeah. This wasn't his first voyage, and he wasn't some idiot. This was... I think that um, Dan Parks might, makes the argument that he might even be the most qualified... He, he, he and Wilde may have been two of the most qualified people on board to be on a big ship. Yeah, well, if you look at um, 
if you look at officers with experience on Olympic, um, you know, among Titanic's officers, will Lightoller, second okay. officer Lightoller, third officer Pittman, fourth officer Boxall, fifth officer Lowe, uh, sixth officer Moody, um, none of them had served on Olympic. Yeah. Um, you know, so a ship like Titanic was very much new to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Captain Smith, he'd commanded Olympic on every voyage. Yep. I believe Murdoch, certainly Chief Officer Wild, he hadn't been on every Olympic voyage. He, he mm-hmm. took over, I think, on the second voyage. Um, and I, I believe Murdoch may have missed one of Olympic's voyages, but certainly nearly all of them he'd yeah. served on Olympic um Murdoch had and and, and Wild as well. Mm-hmm. Um and you know Murdoch um he, yeah he, he just comes across as uh, as as, a, as an officer who, who was very capable. He he'd been first officer on Oceanic for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um and, um, I, you know, odd, oddly enough, I, I, I think the issue really was, um, you know, not not everyone can be a captain because yeah. there, there simply aren't enough ships. Right. Um, 23 ships at White Star Line, that's a maximum if every ship gets its own captain at the same time. There's a maximum of 23 captains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and uh, you know, uh, it, it, it sometimes look at it, and the, you know, the officers on Titanic, as it sometimes said, well, the officers that survived, so Lightoller down, um, well, Sixth Officer Moody, of course, he um, he unfortunately lost his life. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes said, well, none of them ever had their own command. But then if you look at the equivalent officers on Olympic's maiden voyage, mm-hmm. um, you know, only the the officer equivalent to Lightoller on Titanic, who will perhaps senior, he only got his permanent command in the late 20s. Um, you know, yeah, so just, a finite number of slots. Uh, sorry, we... Uh, Oh, um, all I said is just, there's just a finite number of slots. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, Smith had been commander for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you sometimes wonder, I'm not saying there was, but you sometimes wonder if younger officers, you know, resented some of the longer serving captains because it's almost like, well, you know, I want to... I want to be promoted, and you know some of the veterans are perhaps blocking. Um, That's currently what happened. What's happening right now in the job market and in at least the American political system, where we're like, could you just get out of the way? Yeah. Thank you. You're 87. I, oh, good. Yeah. Well, and uh, I've certainly noticed. I don't want to stray into U.S. politics, but uh, I've certainly mm. noticed. Yeah, you see, you see people that. Uh, you know, of an age. Listen, the Grim Reaper just needs to hang out in Congress long enough and he'll get somebody real quick. Wow. Doesn't even need to do anything. 
just think it's good to have a balance of uh, a balance of age. You need, you know, experience is great, but you need young yeah. blood as well. You do, and I mean, there's a lot of people who think that you know Smith was too old, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I'm a bit of a Murdoch stand, so I will always jump in and defend him. But I, it, it's I also defend the lookouts because everyone was doing the best that they could. Like if you it, get a friend or your significant other, find a room in your house that has no light, tell them to put a glass of ice water in there, blindfold you, sit down, take off the blindfold, and I want you to find that glass. It's going to be really hard, even though the space is limited, because seeing in the dark is, is, is exceptionally difficult. And I mean, I know I'm saying obvious stuff, but like, I, listen, I don't think I could have seen an iceberg in pitch blackness until it was in a reasonable distance for it to literally just loom into my horizon. That's hard. I mean, seriously, if you just go into your bathroom or your closet, close the door and turn off the lights, try to find your favorite shirt and put it on. I want to see this. And you might get lucky. It might go well. You might just remember where it is. But I, especially I, if it's something like an iceberg, how it, it, Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, it's... It's also you're staring into a into the wind as well, because oh. um, I, I mean the speed speed of the ship. She was doing about twenty two and a half knots, mm -hmm. maybe a bit more. In the cold, and, um, you know, you've 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 got that that wind mm -hmm. against you, looking into it. Um, it's freezing you know, outside. Freezing, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, these are the these are not great conditions. Um, being a lookout is a pretty boring, pretty boring job. I, um, I, I, and well, you know, someone like Fred Fleet, mm -hmm. um, I, I think it could have been any lookout mm -hmm. on duty that just happened to have the misfortune of being on duty when it happened. Um, and you know, in 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 later years, um, you know, Fleet was I think he was twenty four or twenty five in nineteen twelve. He was um, he was young. He was a yeah, young he, was a, he was a young man. Although you know, you see photos of him, he, he looks older than his years. He certainly looks older than what we think of today as a twenty four, twenty five year old. So I love watching pictures of teenagers from like the eighties. They all look like they're in their late thirties. Yeah. Um, just the way people dressed and styled, and yeah, you know, it was a harder life. Oh, you know? so yeah, well, yeah, harder, harder life in those days. But Fleet, you know, in in later years, he earned some money as a, a as a, a a newspaper seller. Hmm. And, you know, the, there's some. I think there's a photo. It might be in Titanic Voices where um, it's it's got a picture of him. Um, you know, can't really recognise him. Of course, he's so much older. He's wearing glasses by that point. But he's, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, he was worked. Was still in Southampton, and he, he sold um, sold papers or, or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there were, I forget where I read it, but there, there was some anecdote. You'd you'd sometimes get local kids, you know, sort of shout, shouting out to him something about you know you know there's an iceberg or could you see it um and um 
there was some controversy some years back. I think it was the centennial. Um, mm-hmm. Someone put some binoculars on his grave in Southampton, and there was a Don't note or something which said, "You know, if only you'd had these." Yeah, don't do that. That's I mean, not funny. Well, I mean, that it's a whole other debate, to be honest. I right. Mean, you know, there's the argument about binoculars, and actually it wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have helped. But um, Yeah, I talk about that a bit. Again, go in a pitch black room, see if those binoculars help you at all. Well, it, it, yeah, you, they certainly restrict your vision. Mm-hmm. That's and again, they it do, is do. dark outside. Yeah, Um but uh, but yeah, but then Fleet and Lee, you know, both both lookouts survived, mm-hmm. and um, you know the you, you look at the statistics, the majority of the crew didn't. Yeah, pretty um, remarkable that they both managed to. Yeah, and Fleet, I think he was it was in one of the early lifeboats. I think it was lifeboat six was one of the first launched on the port side. I believe mm-hmm. Lee was in 13 or 15, I can't remember. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, you know, imagine imagine being in that position because, you know, they've reported, they reported what they saw. Mm-hmm. Um, no reason to think they weren't doing their job. Um, right. They didn't conjure the iceberg that I'm aware of. No. If they did, we could have a very different discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. There's so much. Reality that you just think they were were running and Smith was running a much greater risk than than was appreciated. Um, You know, and you think, well, just because a disaster hasn't happened to date doesn't mean it can't happen. Exactly. But, um... I uh, I think I've taken a lot of your time, and I don't want to take the rest of your evening. <laughs> but I am I learned a lot. I admit that I don't know as much about like the sort of the establishing history of the White Star Line and Titanic, um, and I should. So I will probably re- be reaching out to you again at some point to be like, tell me more things. But yeah, I'd um, be, be glad to yeah. if people are interested. I mean, I can I can yeah, talk I for ages. So I need some coffee. Well, that's fine. Well, you know, that is what you get. Ugh, I moved my chair one inch. He was sitting directly behind it and I was looking at me like it's mad. But, sorry. But thank you so much for coming on. This was wildly informative. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been uh, it's been great to talk. And uh, I, ne- I never I never listen to my own uh, recordings, whether it's, you know, lectures Fair. or podcasts or whatever. But I'll, uh, I'll stay tuned for other people's. Sweet. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are way smarter than I deserve, to be perfectly honest. And if you think someone want to get in touch with him, you totally should. You can find Mark on Twitter. Oop, Mark on Twitter. His username is Mark underscore Churnside, M-A-R-K underscore C-H-I-R-N-S-I-D-E. You can also find him on Facebook, um markchurnside.author and you can find his website at markchurnside.co.uk and speaking of finding people you can find me the show on all the socials facebook twitter instagram i technically have tiktok but i've uploaded one thing to it and i've 
opened it like twice. But it's all the same username. It's Titanic Talkline, all one word. And if you want to get in touch with me, which you should totally want to get in touch with me, you should email me at titanictalkline at gmail.com. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!